0: What about that one study? So a lot of times online, somebody will post a comment and say, well, you didn't read this study. And it's usually to argue with something that I posted. Not argue, but it's like in contradiction to what I say. So like if I say oxidized LDL doesn't matter, we used to believe that in like the late 90s, somebody will be like, well, what about the study from 2015? And it'll be a study that shows something about oxidized LDL that may or may not support my point. Or may support the point of some opposing person, whatever it might be. So I think the, the problem with um, talking like, what about that one study? is that you're, there's a few issues with that. First of all, it's one study. Um, if that isn't obvious when you're looking at one single study, that is not going to change my mind or the scientific community's mind when we have literally like billions of studies that show the exact opposite. So that is not going to be convincing. So when you do a meta-analysis, it's to kind of get rid of that one study effect. So if we want to look at every single study that's ever been done on oxidized LDL, we combine all the results, we look at mortality data, cardiovascular outcomes, you know, whatever. That gives us a better idea of... Uh, whether that oxidized LDL or whatever it is you're testing, whatever theory or hypothesis you have, it gives us an idea of whether or not that is actually true. So that's one thing. The, the one thing that's wrong with that one study is that it is also that one study. So when you're looking at that one study, the problem is that it is one single study. Now, there are cases where one single study can pretty much trump them all. Let's say we have a very specific question we are trying to answer that we really have not been able to do a good job answering you know we're trying to figure it out trying to figure it out haven't been able to and we're like you know what let's design a study that answers that exact thing wouldn't that answer the question and in that case it would be yes like we could design a perfect study to answer a perfect question that's never been answered before or has never been answered in a way that that is like this Um, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but let's say we're trying to figure out um, can one packet of ketchup a day raise your LDL cholesterol? There's probably never been a study on it, right? There may have been. I don't know, but I'm making it up. So we could design a study. We bring in 500 people. We give half half of them a packet of ketchup a day to eat and the other half nothing. And we check their LDL cholesterol, all else being equal. We tell them don't change anything. And you know, we look at them after six weeks or 10 weeks or a month or a year. Now, it also depends on what you're trying to power the study for. If you want to look at like all-cause mortality and cardiovascular outcomes, like is anybody going to die in six weeks from one packet of ketchup a day or not getting the packet of ketchup of a day, like maybe the packet was protective? No. If one person dies in that study out of the 500, 250 in each arm of the study, that's a coincidence. It won't reach statistical significance. So, yes, there, there may be people that die in those six weeks, but it's not going to be because of the ketchup. You get what I'm saying? That's the whole point of statistical significance. Does that meet the criteria of was it a coincidence or did the ketchup cause it or was the ketchup protective for the other people that didn't get um, the ketchup or whatever it was? So, that's the problem with that one study. The other problem is you don't have like the background information and knowledge to be able to evaluate that one study in the context of the totality of understanding of that problem. And I think this is more important. Um, the first part is it's one study. And you know, what are you going to do with one study? You need to be able to reproduce it and see if it's reliable. Like there are labs that will sometimes pre- create junk science and junk studies. And then everyone else tries to retest it and they're like, you know, we're not getting the same results here. We followed your methods. We followed the same study design. We followed the same criteria you did, and we're getting totally different results. So that's that's the thing. We are always as scientists trying to check one another and see if it's actually true or not. So that's the other problem with that one study. But back to this new thing. Um, the second reason, which I think is more important, is that if you don't have the background knowledge and the wealth of information, or at least some basic understanding, but but basics probably not going to cut it. You need like a really in depth knowledge of the situation. To be able to tell if that one study really makes a difference. So, for example, back to oxidized LDL. If one guy who is like a lipid expert, right? He's been studying lipids forever and multiple books about it. Like, you know, like a Thomas Dayspring, maybe. He's written multiple chapters and multiple lipid textbooks on uh, how lipids metabolize and how they get into your arteries and what happens and what have you. If he thinks that one study is helpful or posts a new study or something or there's this new study with this new different information in it, he's capable of evaluating that. And he would be like, well, yeah, you know, maybe it showed this, but we know from past data and past experiments that while that could be true, you know, in the majority of cases for the majority of people in, you know, with this scenario or this medication, whatever it might be, that that's probably not going to work or that that may be true or it may be effective, might not be effective or, people with this genetic disorder that might help but the other rest of the people it's not going to help. So somebody like that has way more knowledge and way more background information when you look at that one study it's not going to make that much of a difference or that person will be able to explain it better. So for example, a lot of people will say, "Well, you know, you posted that chart on LDL cholesterol and you said that LDL cholesterol causes atherosclerosis. Well, look at this one study. Here it shows that APOB is a better marker for atherosclerosis. They don't understand that ApoB is a different way of measuring LDL cholesterol. Not actually the cholesterol, but the lipoproteins that carry it. So they may not understand that... If And if you don't understand this, go back to my lipoprotein podcast that I posted a, if, a couple weeks ago. But a lipoprotein is like a car. It's a vehicle. It carries cholesterol. Cholesterol are the passengers. So every... Uh, lipoprotein has cholesterol in it. When you measure LDL cholesterol, you're measuring the cholesterol inside of the LDL particles. When you want to measure the total number of LDL particles, which is generally what correlates the most with atherosclerosis, you measure an ApoB. It's that blue oval, the blue Ford oval on the vehicle. You see that ApoB, that blue oval from far away, you know that that is a Ford coming at you. Same thing with ApoB. It is this blue, let's just say, structural protein on the outside slash inside of a low-density lipoproteins. And that's how we know that we have this many lipoproteins in circulation or this many low-density lipoproteins doing what have you. That's how we know that. So in the context of my background information and my knowledge on the subject, when someone says, well, there's this one study that showed that non-HDL cholesterol, uh, or I'm sorry, they showed that ApoB is more is better than LDL cholesterol. Why do you keep talking about LDL cholesterol? Well, the background knowledge and science is that, first of all, we don't have ApoBs on everyone. If you go back 30 to 60 years ago, not every study had ApoB. Very few today do, but they should. But most studies have a total cholesterol. And even just looking at total cholesterol, usually 70 to 80% of that is your LDL cholesterol. Or you could look at LDL cholesterol, which is something that we have in pretty much every cholesterol panel. And if you want to be more precise, because LDL cholesterol is calculated and it can fluctuate or be a little bit different in different conditions with various triglyceride levels, if you want something that doesn't fluctuate that much, you can get a non-HDL, something called non-HDL cholesterol. Maybe we'll get into all the different kinds of cholesterol in a different podcast. Um, but definitely a non-HDL doesn't really fluctuate. You measure total cholesterol, subtract the HDL, that gives you the non-HDL. So in that context, I would be able to explain to this person, like, look, I get what your study is saying. APOB is a better marker. It correlates the most with cardiac disease, heart disease, strokes, mortality, all-cause mortality, but it's it's measuring the amount of lipoproteins that carry LDL cholesterol rather than the actual inside of those lipoproteins, which is the LDL cholesterol. So in that context, somebody can explain it. Same thing when it comes to weight loss. Somebody might come up to me and be like, well, you know, there's this one study that shows something about, you know, people on vegan diets don't get enough protein. Well, someone like me, who's a certified personal trainer, cardiologist, nutrition, you know, all that stuff, would be like, well, listen, when you equate protein and it's the same amount of bioavailability between animal protein versus plant protein, you get the same results. You can build the same amount of muscle. Like, so for example, if I were to eat a hundred grams of whey protein or chicken or turkey or whatever it might be, beef, that's animal protein, super absorbable, bioavailability, you know, absorbs pretty good. You may need to eat hundred, if you eat hundred grams of plant protein, you may only, you really be utilizing, uh, 80 of it. And you need more, so you'd have to probably eat 120 grams. And if the bioavailability is the same, 100 grams of this, 100 grams of that, even though you're eating 120 of the plant one, then it makes sense and it matters and you're getting enough protein. So that would be something that only really somebody who's been studying this for a long time and has a really in-depth understanding would be able to explain. So that's why I'm not a big fan of like when somebody says, well, here's this one study, because look, I can produce this one study too. What do you want me to do? I can I can make you a study. I can design a study to prove just about anything, and scientists can do that. Scientists are like, well, you know, let's design a study that shows that eating saturated fat, more saturated fat versus low saturated fat, is not a big deal. You absolutely can do that. That is not hard uh, at all. You could design design a study to prove almost anything. That's why comments like, "What about PubMed ID one two three four five six seven eight? What about this study? What about that study?" And they post the studies or the links or the PubMed ID numbers or whatever it might be, I think they just don't understand. Uh, they don't have enough background knowledge to understand the topic, and I, and I'm and it's not their fault. I'm not blaming them. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just they don't know. So I don't try to be uh, like angry at these people or upset with them. Like they just don't know. So sometimes I'll suggest, well, you should you know probably read a basic lipidology textbook, or if they're talking about diabetes, an endocrinology textbook, or read a little bit more about this topic. Sometimes there's these huge review uh, studies where it's like, let's review everything we know about atherosclerosis from beginning to end. Like there's this great Boren article, B-O-R-E-N, that I always uh, talk about. It talks about atherosclerosis from beginning to end. If you don't want to read a textbook, at least read this, right? It's a, it's a sort of like a review or like a study that goes over all of the data and evidence and everything that we currently know about this one uh, topic, which is atherosclerosis or whatever topic they picked. Um, So that would actually be super helpful. So that I also highly encourage. But definitely starting out with a textbook. Like let's say you're a seeker of knowledge and you want to be like, you know what? I want to learn everything I can about living healthy, living longer, cutting my cholesterol, what to eat, what not to eat, what to drink, what not to drink, how to live, what to exercise, what to do, what can I do to get to that point? And my answer would be obviously grab my cholesterol book. (laughs) Uh, it's not yet available, but it's super close. So if you want the updates on when it's going to be available, go to drallo.net, D-R-A-L-O.net slash cholesterol, fill out that top form. You'll get a preview of the book with a bunch of the slides, the text, the pages, the papers. You'll get my free lipid guide, my five-step quick quick weight loss guide, my macronutrient guide, a few other really awesome goodies uh, in there. But Go to drallo.net slash cholesterol, fill out the form. You end up on my cholesterol update list. And you'll be updated the second it's available. We are super close. The podcast just before this actually, maybe one or two back, is updates on the cholesterol book. So If you want to know like sort of every title of every uh, chapter, then go to that. But anyways, that would be my response. would be like, look, you want a basic understanding of lipids and lipoprotein and how to live longer, what to eat, what not to eat, what actually works, what actually doesn't work, what tests should you actually get, what tests should you not get what tests are meaningless, who's scamming you, how to tell if they're scamming you, you know, all that kind of stuff, definitely grab my cholesterol book. Or read like any basic lipidology book. Some of these are really tough to read. That's why for a layperson, I'm not going to recommend usually these lipidology textbooks like Christy Ballantine's, Peter Toth, and those guys. Um, those are super complicated, very in-depth book that even clinicians may struggle with. To uh understand or explain so I would highly recommend like a layman's book or laywoman's book And now that would be my book my cholesterol book is going to be the lipid textbook for everyday people Um, and it's going to be like freaking gorgeous and amazing and beautiful every page is at least three or four different studies and slides and pictures and graphics i've had an illustrator Working on some of these pictures, you know, I think it's going to be amazing and beautiful Um, and I think you guys will like it, but that's why i'm not a huge fan Of like somebody says what about this one study because this one study could be completely meaningless in the context Of the entirety of evidence that we know another reason that I think is important to like not look at this one study Is because a lot of times that one study was designed specifically To prove a point that no one really agrees with or, or is very contrarian. Like for example um, there have been this group of fake authors that want to sell books against cholesterol that are anti-cholesterol. They're like, well, oh, we don't, we cholesterol it isn't real. It doesn't exist. So they will design their own meta-analysis, which they literally did, only include studies that don't have mortality data, and then say something that they concluded like, well, cholesterol wasn't associated with mortality. Well, your study was designed not to even show mortality. So like, why would it show mortality? data, your study is completely false and your book is nonsense. And then they based their whole premise uh, of this book that they're trying to sell around this one stupid study. And they did this in 2016 with another study, this guy called Raznikov or something like that. I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Ufe, Uffe, U U F F E, something like that. Uh, Raznikov. They designed the study showing that people over the age of 60 don't benefit from statins. Well, that's like saying... You've already destroyed your arteries, and you're waiting till the last minute. And now you might not benefit from statin therapy. And but that's not even the worst part. The worst part is they designed the study specifically to not show that they they did not include studies that showed that uh, taking statins improved uh, cardiovascular outcomes, mortality, death rates, etc. In the elderly. So they designed the study to not work, so that they could sell books and and garbage and whatnot. Um, But anyways, those are my thoughts on the quote unquote, this one study type of mental thinking. Um, And I hope you enjoyed it. If you do, please send some love in the form of five star reviews and some nice, amazing comments on iTunes. I appreciate it. And uh, I hope you guys, um, if you are benefiting, I don't get anything out of this, but send this to all your friends so hopefully they can share it with other people. We will chat in the next episode. Peace.